packed lunches prepared, school bags dusted off. All around the country, children are going back to school. I think we, we have a responsibility to our communities mm. and to our pupils to do the best we can do. The government are urging primary schools to reopen today. I think every family has to make the decision they feel is right in their circumstances. But with coronavirus stubbornly lingering around the country, reopening schools has become a dilemma for parents and teachers alike. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, is it time to go back to school? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This year, I had a tip-off that a group of super head teachers and CEOs of Academy Trust had actually been asked by the government to submit some plans for how they could open their schools safely. Sean Griffiths is the Sunday Times education editor. She's been keeping an eye on school closures throughout lockdown. When the government first announced that primary schools across the country would be able to reopen today, Sean wanted to know how those schools had been preparing. So I called up some of the superheads that I knew, and one in particular, a guy called Dan Moynihan. He is the CEO of the Harris Academies Trust. And I phoned him up and I said, are you drawing up plans for your schools to reopen safely? And are you submitting them to the government? What did he say? He started telling me about the Trust's plans, and they just seemed to me utterly extraordinary. We want our schools to be as safe as possible and there will be some people who have high temperature. He was saying things like, well, we're planning to set up triage systems in school reception areas. Purchased a range of sink troughs. We've made these plans also to buy huge sink troughs and we're going to put them in playgrounds and then children can wash their hands a lot. We started to source PPE for our group. And we're buying up face masks and we're getting in a supply of plastic aprons as well and disposable gloves. Absolutely. All of our schools will be doing those things. I thought, gosh, this is extraordinary. I have to see this in operation. This sounds more like a hospital than a primary school. OK, take care of yourself. Thank you. Bye. bye. So did you you go off and, and see it? After that phone call, things kind of progressed and it became clear that the government was taking advice about how schools might reopen safely. 
So Dan arranged for me to visit one of the 23 primary schools that are part of the Harris Trust. They are all planning to open to children in reception, year one and year six, following government guidance, from June the 1st, i.e. from today. And what was it like when you went? Were they already set up? Well, I went to visit Harris Peckham. It's in a very old Victorian building in South London. It has actually stayed open through the lockdown. It's been teaching the children of key workers and it's been teaching vulnerable children. It looks a bit like Hogwarts from the outside. And one of the things I noticed, actually, as soon as I kind of drove up to the school, was that there were a lot of people walking around the streets who were in face masks. I was actually quite nervous. It was my first work assignment after about six to eight weeks in lockdown. And I was, yeah, I was just thinking, wow, I'm out for the first time. I've been working from home from my spare bedroom. I'd packed a face mask. I'd packed a pair of disposable gloves, which I'd bought online from Halfords. And I had my laptop and my tape recorder. And I thought, whoa, okay, into the brave new world we go. I found exactly what, what, what Dan was saying. They were planning for a triage system at reception. And how would that work? They're going to stagger the, the times at which these children turn up at the primary school. And they're going to have a system in the reception area whereby teachers in full PPE, they'll have face masks, they'll have gloves, they'll have visors, they'll have aprons. They will do a temperature check on every child coming through the door with one of these remote infrared temperature thermometers. And if that child's temperature is high, the child will not be allowed to go into the school. They'll be sent back out through the playground, escorted through the school gates where their parents have been asked to wait to take any child that has a high temperature home. I, I thought that was extraordinary planning. I think many schools will not be doing that, but certainly all the Harris Academies will be doing these temperature checks on children before they come in. And all the other things Dan had spoken about, the troughs in the playground, any child who wants to wear a face mask in school will be allowed to do so. Teachers will have a supply of face masks. So very, very, very careful preparation. We said we would begin with early years settings and reception, year one and year six. In primary schools. And they haven't had that long to get prepared. I mean, it was only last Sunday that Boris Johnson announced that primary schools would be reopening. Can, can you just sort of tell us a bit about how they've been functioning during lockdown? Because they haven't been completely shut, have they? No, most schools have stayed open for the children of key workers, for the children of NHS staff, shop workers, and also vulnerable children. And that's mostly children who have a social worker. They also were eligible to carry on attending school through the lockdown. And I think it was expected that around 20% of pupils would be in school right through lockdown if everybody had taken up this offer who was eligible to take it up. But actually what we found is a very, very small proportion of pupils have stayed in school, about 1%. It's climbing a little bit in recent weeks. It's climbed to about 2%, but nothing like the 20% that the government had expected. I mean, there has, and there still is really, a lot of fear. Do, do schools have to reopen now? What's the law? Where does the government stand on this? The government guidance is that it wants schools to reopen today, primary schools, for certain groups of children, for reception children, for years one and year six. So that's basically four and five-year-olds and 10 and 11-year-olds. If everybody turned up under this guidance, everyone in year one and year six in reception, you'd get about two million pupils Do schools have to reopen? Well, I mean, this is hugely controversial. Local authorities, some local councils, more than a dozen of them now, some in the north of England, have said that 
their schools are not ready to reopen and they will not be reopening on June the 1st, that they need longer to make sure that the schools can reopen safely. Well, everyone will have their troughs in place yet. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. And also, of course, who's going to pay for the troughs to be in place? Who's going to pay for yeah. the PPE? I mean, if every school is going to get kitted up like Harris, who's paying for that? And the government has said that full PPE for teachers is not required, but it could well be that that becomes a sort of bargaining point between the teaching unions and the government going forward. So what's the sort of the timeline on getting the other years, you know, year two, three, four, five, when do they possibly go back? Well, what the government said originally was that they'd start with these years and then they expected primary schools to be open for all pupils before the end of the summer term, ideally to give all pupils at least a month in school before the summer term starts, which is normally about the third week of July. That, I think, is looking extraordinarily ambitious. I mean, I I really don't think that is going to happen at all. I think many parents will wait to see how this plays out before they decide whether or not to send their child back. Some parents may be living with elderly grandparents. There may be other vulnerable members in their household. And those parents will be particularly anxious about sending their children back. I mean, are there benefits, too, to sending children back to school now? They have been locked down for some time. I think there's a lot of concern, especially some children. We have, we think, about a million vulnerable children in this country who may be living in households where there's domestic violence, may be at risk of recruitment into county lines, drugs gangs. So I think there's a lot of concern about some children and a lot of agreement among educationalists in particular that it would be good for children to come back. It would be good for their mental health. It would be good to establish a sense of routine for them again. They haven't seen their friends for six to eight weeks. What is this doing for their psychological well-being? Just being able to go out and get fresh air, I suppose, again, much more regularly would be a benefit. Talking of mental health, I mean, it does sound quite daunting. Does that sort of have any kind of lasting effect? If the teachers around them are wearing PPE or, you know, they walk into school every morning with people dressed up in PPE checking their temperature. I don't know what they will think about face masks. I don't know what the psychological um, effects of all of this (laughs) are going to be on this generation. Generation COVID, I mean, we won't know for a long time, I think. Generation COVID. Yeah. Terrifying thought, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? It's sad. I mean, that's going to be the label that attaches to this generation. So the government has announced that schools are reopening, but I mean, where is the science on this? Are we sure it is considered safe? Well, the government has said that it won't reopen schools unless the science shows it is safe to do so. But this too is a controversial area. Last week, the Independent Sage Committee, the group of independent scientists that have set up... Shadow Sage, effectively, isn't it? Exactly, a shadow sage. That's a good way of putting it. They came out with a very strong report saying they didn't think it was safe to open schools today. They think that the risk of the so-called R rate rising above one will be increased by reopening schools. And they came out with a very strongly worded report saying, no, it's not safe. The science doesn't show it's safe and we need to delay this. I mean, that's really alarming. That's very alarming for parents, you know, trying to make up their minds about whether or not to send their children back to schools to have, you know, two groups of scientists essentially saying different things. How do they decide which, who's right? And how much is this being driven by politicians saying, we need to get the economy moving again, we need to get children back into schools so that their parents can go back to work and don't have to carry on doing this complicated blend of trying to 
homeschool and work from home. The Shadow Sage Committee seems to think the R number, so the infectivity might go up again. We've sort of managed to combat that over lockdown through social distancing, but I guess the problem for schools is how on earth do you get kids to socially distance? I think that is one of the things that teachers and head teachers are wrestling with. And they seem to be following, in many, many cases, you create bubbles, you create small groups of children, bubbles of children of around 15 children to one teacher. And it seems to me this is quite a grey area. Is it the case that children, once they're in these bubbles, can actually behave almost normally and they don't have to worry about being two metres away from another child? Or is it the case that they're in the bubbles and then as an added precaution, they still have to stay two metres away from other children, even in the playground? And that doesn't seem to me to be clear or consistent across the schools I've spoken to. Or, or really how you force children of a certain, you know, a very young age to do that. It's very difficult, isn't it? I mean, I did visit a prep school. The children were in the playground and one little boy jumped into a sort of wooden contraption and stuck his head up above the top of it and went, I'm socially distancing. And he couldn't have been more than seven. And I was thinking, <laughs> oh, bless. <laughs> it's funny how that's just become part of part of the vernacular now, you know, for kids at the age of seven to be talking about socially distancing. I know, I know. It's amazing. Tell me about this other school you went to. It's a school in Bromley. It's called Breeside. It's a prep school, so it's a junior private school. Many of their children are the children of NHS workers, consultants working in St Thomas's, nurses, pharmacists. So they probably had about 20 children there, 20 children of frontline workers the day I visited. They were already doing quite a lot of things. So they had little taped crosses on seats in the canteen and children could only sit on the seats that didn't have a taped cross. Oh, to so keep them apart. Still, exactly, to keep them apart. How did the parents at this prep school feel about sending their children back? They've surveyed the parents. Uh, about 120 out of 180 parents who are eligible have said that they will be sending their children back today. Really? Yeah. So that's, that's a high number. Very high. And I think this goes back actually to, I think, a crucial thing for parents when they're trying to decide whether or not to send children back is how much do they trust the school? How much do they trust the head to keep their children safe? For me, as long as the parents are fine and the children are feeling fine, I think now's the right time to open Pharmacy owner Yashmin Amin, his two children, Mahi, who's 11, and Rafi, 8, have been at Breeside throughout the lockdown. I mean, he completely backs schools going back today. I think if the social distance guidelines are, you know, adhered to cleaning, sanitary-wise, everyone's looking after themselves, checked on a regular basis, I really think for the kids' mental health, I think it's a good thing to come back. He was incredibly positive. His children have been there right through the lockdown. He's a frontline worker and he was just delighted that they'd been there. He thought they were coping better than um, their friends who'd been staying at home. Why did he think they'd done better than their friends who'd stayed at home? He said many, many of their friends who stayed at home were bored. I know initially when they got the news that they were going to continue coming to school, my daughter was really upset. She was like, oh, my friends are all going to be off and I'm going to be in and it's not fair and but I think a week in, when they realised that they'd be with some other children and actually not so isolated as being in a room all day, um, I think it's now flipped and probably they're having a better time than a lot of other children because they're around children, they're around teachers, they're in the school environment, you know, they've got use of the playground and facilities. Children need other children to sort of... just to learn how to, how to grow up, really. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The kids who who sort of have carried on at Breeside throughout the period of lockdown, how have they been coping with social distancing? I mean, I know you you, uh, you described the boy you met, but um, have, have they... I mean, are they quite comfortable with the idea? Has it, is it working? Um, I think for the little ones, it hasn't, you know, it's not automatic by any stretch of the imagination. The teachers are constantly having to remind them to socially distance. I, I was there at lunchtime, actually. I had lunch with them. And it was quite funny watching them because they've just come out of, you know, lessons on their little computers and they're queuing up for their lunch. And they're desperate to talk to each other. So there's yeah. constant shuffling and, you know, towards each other so that they can have a little chat. Yeah. And then the teacher goes, no, no, stand on the, stand on the cross. <laughs> so it's very sweet. <laughs> and also when I was there, I chatted to a brother and sister, Daniel and Liliana, who are in year six and year three, respectively. I'm Daniel. And I'm Liliana. How are they feeling about going back? They're really excited. So I really want to see my friends. Yes, I do. I'm a teacher, actually. They've been at home during lockdown, as their mum is a stay-at-home mum, but they were at the school the day I visited. What did they say? And also, my teacher is sometimes more fun at school than she is. Because they said that during the lockdown, the teacher gets really distracted because they have to be on Zoom calls and, you know, sometimes they mute themselves accidentally and it just doesn't have the flow of a normal lesson. So they're looking forward to seeing their friends back in class. And were they worried about it at all? Yeah, I yeah. guess, because we won't be able to yeah. like, social distance. They did say they didn't know how they'd socially distance. They thought that would feel just weird. Yeah, of course. And also they told me 
they weren't sure about how the playground would be. I feel like some games that we normally play might be like not allowed. Whether they'd be able to play the games they usually play. But they did seem pretty happy to be going back. So I'm really excited to go back to school. It was a very, very nice atmosphere. It reminded me of going back into primary schools, you know, pre-COVID. Uh, it was a very yeah. refreshing sense of... Yeah, we can get back to this. We can get back to normality. Well, that's encouraging. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is obviously an incredibly difficult decision for parents, but it's also a tough call for schools and for, for teachers who work there. I understand the unions have sort of been up in arms about a lot of this, but have you heard of schools that won't be reopening today? Yes, yeah, some schools are not reopening. We know that some councils have said their schools are not ready to reopen. So one school, which is a really excellent school... It's a school called Bildsley Primary School in Birmingham. I've written stories about them before and I've spoken to their head teacher, Carl Rogerson. And this is a school in a very poor part of Birmingham with a, a lot of families on free school meals. He has stayed open through lockdown for a very small number of children. Yeah, I think, I think between, on a daily basis, between 18 and I think our probably highest, I think we had 27 one day. Right. But he is not reopening today. He's not reopening to reception. He's not reopening to year really? one or year six. And he is not reopening to any group, actually, until June the 8th. And then it will only be to reception class children. Tell me a bit about Carl. What's he like? Is he one of those inspirational head teachers? He is, actually. He is a really amazing head teacher. And through lockdown, you know, the school has been trying to support its families as best it can. It's even organised, you know, food deliveries to families on free school meals. It's part of a trust called the Elliott Foundation. And that foundation has advised all schools in the trust not to open this week. They just haven't had the time to get ready. Actually, in conversation with the Trust, who have been supportive throughout, and they have said it's a local decision, but their advice was not to open until the 8th of June, until we got everything in place that needed to be in place. I mean, government guidance has been, in some cases, quite late, quite last minute, yeah. quite contradictory. And some trusts have told their schools, you know, if you're not ready to reopen safely, do not reopen what have parents been saying to him? He has surveyed his parents and, and, to be honest, only about a quarter of them say they're going to send their children back to school. One of the biggest challenges has been the anxiety amongst staff and parents because of the change in advice and etc. So yeah. we communicated that with them and we initially sent out to parents just a simple questionnaire saying, um, you know, we're looking to plan for this. Can you give us an indication whether you would send your pupil to school or not? Mm. Um, and out of the responses we had received, we were about about 28% saying that they would. Right, right. He is not expecting to get big numbers back. And as Carl says, I mean, his parents are very anxious. They're very frightened. Some of them know people who've died of COVID. They are proving hard to persuade. What are their biggest concerns? Well, they're concerned their children will get it, even though the science shows that it's not likely that children will get anything other than a mild version of the virus. But they're more concerned, I think, that their children going back to school will spread the virus in the community. I think some of the teachers as well that I've spoken to, not in this school, but in other schools, are worried that they too, not only might spread it in, in their communities if they go back into schools, but that they might catch it. And his school is in a particularly poor area of Birmingham. Does that add to the risk? It does add to the risk because we know that the virus has affected the poorest communities more than it has affected richer communities. I mean, all illnesses tend to sweep through poorer areas more than wealthier areas. And I think Carl knows that. 
He knows that the poorest are most at risk. And that, of course, is making parents even more anxious about sending their children back to his school. And I actually did speak to a couple of parents who have children at the school, and one of them said that she knew somebody who had died of COVID-19, and that was making her worried about sending her child back. Have they felt reassured by sort of the government advice that it's okay to reopen now? Is that having an impact on parents? I think the government keeps saying it's being led by the science, it's being led by the science. And when you've got conflicting scientific opinion on this, I think that's not very reassuring for parents. I think the thinking is from ministers, once schools reopen, once children start to go back, once parents can see that some children are getting learning and getting social support, then more parents will follow. The Education Select Committee last week said... We don't expect so many in the first week. We don't expect so many today, but we think it will snowball and we think more and more parents will send their children back to school once they can see it's working and hopefully that it's safe. This school, I mean, I know we joked about the troughs at Harris Academy, but is it sort of similarly well equipped? No, I don't think in terms of PPE and troughs and temperature checks, there's not going to be any temperature checks at schools in the Elliott Trust, and that includes Billsley Primary. And I don't think there's going to be any widespread use of personal protective equipment such as face masks either. And I'm not sure how many schools have a supply of PPE, and I do think that might be an issue in the weeks to come. That must be very worrying for for teachers. I mean, did Carl, the headmaster, talk to you about that? How does he feel about reopening and the risks involved? Yeah, and Carl is such a good head teacher. And I think when I talked to him about this, you could see he was really kind of struggling with himself in a way. He obviously wants his children back at school. He wants to do the best he can for his pupils. I, I'm certainly not, never would be that kind of hero head teacher that, you know, yeah. putting bodies on the line and those sorts of things. But he actually said to me, I'm not a hero head teacher putting bodies on the line. But he also, of course, wants to... Not only does he want to see them learning and being happy in school, but he wants to make sure that they are safe and that his staff are safe. Well, I I think we we have a responsibility to our communities Mm. and to our pupils to do the best we can do. I wouldn't hope if I didn't think we were safe. I think like many head teachers, he has this internal dilemma, which I wouldn't like to be a head teacher right now. Tell me, what about the unions? We, you know, there has been some anxiety. The unions are fiercely resisting going back this week, going back today. The National Education Union has set five tests it wants the government to meet. In particular, it wanted an effective track and trace operation up and running before it backed the idea that schools would go back. It is also talking about having proper PPE for teachers, proper supplies of personal protective equipment. The other unions, the Association of School and College Lecturers, which is a head teachers union, has said that if the government says it's safe to go back, they will go along with that. The National Association of Head Teachers, which actually is the union that runs most, most of its members are primary school head teachers, they have sort of been quite iffy. They are following the government guidance, but they have many, many, many concerns. I think it's complicated. I mean, the unions are not behind this move back this week. They think on the whole... It is too soon, but at the end of the day, they are employees and they, if they're told to go back to work, most of them will go back to work. You've sort of looked into quite a few schools and this is, you know, a huge story for so many people across the country today. What's it been like covering it? Has it surprised you? In some ways, it hasn't surprised me because, you know, I've been covering schools for a long time and I'm very 
most of the head teachers and the teachers I talk to are pretty altruistic and driven. I mean, they get such a bad press, teachers, but you, the ones that I talk to usually, you know, I'm always hugely impressed by how much they're trying to do for the children they teach. I've reflected more than once actually covering this story about my own children because they're in their 20s now and I'm so glad they're not still of school age and that I personally don't have to make this decision because I would find it such a difficult decision to make. I've had colleagues calling me at the Sunday Times saying, my children, they're supposed to go back to school this week. What shall we do? What do you think? And then they talk through, you know, their concerns about, you know, their, their own children's conditions, their family situation, what they think about the school. It's really, really, really hard for parents. I think the one thing I do think, I think parents should be very active in their decision. This is your choice. The government may be recommending that you do something, but we are in unprecedented times. And at the end of the day, these are your children. This is your family. It's their school. And you are the person best placed to make this decision. It is incredibly hard. And you're right, there are so many factors playing on it. But you said your children are in their 20s now, but if they were of primary school age. I'm sorry, I'm putting exactly what all those parents you've been calling you up do, but what would you do? Would you send them back? I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to think I would because my children were at a very good primary school. They were at a state primary school in London and we thought it was amazing. And I'd like to think that, that I would have complete confidence in that school keeping my children safe. But one of my children has asthma, quite bad asthma, And I think I would be unsure. It's so hard, isn't it? Because even having seen as much as you have of schools, you know, I can hear the uncertainty. And I mean, that must be replicated across the country. Every parent worrying about their child. Mm. It is an incredibly hard decision, isn't it? It's a very, very hard decision. I think every family has to make the decision they feel is right in their circumstances. Children will go back to school. Whether this is the right week for your child to go back to school is something that only, I think, you know, you as a parent can decide. Do you worry about Generation Covid? Yes, I do. I worry hugely about Generation Covid. Not just these children in primary schools now, but the children coming out of secondary schools, you know, have had their GCSEs and A-levels cancelled. I worry about the university students who've had their finals cancelled and they're coming out into a very, very difficult job market now, even more difficult than it, than it was. I worry about what they are going to think when you're faced with, you grow up through this kind of pandemic and the whole world seems uncertain and all the securities seem to be stripped away. How is that going to affect people long term? I, I, I don't know the answer to that. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Sean Griffiths, the Sunday Times education editor. You can read more of Sean's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. Also, thanks to Frederica Dakaria, a video producer for The Times and The Sunday Times. The producers were Will Rowe and Asir Fuchs. The executive producer is Leo Hornack and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. 
You can subscribe for free. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and more. Also, in these uncertain times, you can keep up to date and well-informed on coronavirus and so much more every day with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe to find out more. See you tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.